Small towns seem to hold stories of all shapes and sizes. From unsolved crime to downright strange creature sightings, it seems that we're gonna find an eclectic mix of stories today. Welcome back to the swamp and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true horror stories from small towns shared by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to send your story in at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. Be sure to like this video if you haven't yet and subscribe if you're new. And get ready for these creepy and downright strange small town horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Night's Landing. I'm afraid of that place. I haven't been back in a long, long time. I'm scared to go there. Somewhere in Northern California, an hour from the coast in a dry valley, there's a place. This place was my second home. I spent almost every weekend there for many years until I was a teenager. A property in the outskirts of a boring small town near a creek in a well-sized patch of woods. We did a lot of things there and we had room and confidence. A creaky old house dimly lit, covered by trees, and a small garden to the side. The light only went so far from the windows and porch before it was total darkness, and a short walk to the other two buildings, old, long, empty garages filled with tables and chairs for parties, probably about 50 feet long, 10 feet wide, side by side, and although they said no further than 20 feet from each other, they both had very different atmospheres. One was a beacon of light in the darkness, rather a checkpoint, before it was total darkness. They were bustling with life from family gatherings and parties, but never the second. Only twenty feet away, it was always too dark even to see. And on the other side of that, well, that's the scariest part of that place. The four mysterious homemade concrete graves. Right next to this building, and beyond that debris, giant rocks and tons of firewood picture almost a scrapyard with zero light. The building was scary, but at least it was closer to the light. I have plenty of stories from here, ghosts and intruders and otherworldly and notworldly things. But this time, I'm going to concentrate on beyond those property lines, beyond the empty field adjacent to the old building, Cash Creek. Back then, the rules were don't go into that building at night, but we always did. They told us not to stray past the graves at night, but we always did. They told us not to go to the scrapyard, but yet we always did. But what we would not do is go past that field. It was almost an unspoken rule. No one ever brought it up. No one ever suggested attempting to make the trip, and we were reckless as kids, but not suicidal. We remember when we would sleep over when we were younger. My grandma would put us in the house before 12. That creaky old house. Too many for one story three bedroom house. You could see the end of it from where you enter. A straight shot. Living room, dining room, kitchen. All the rooms to the left. Room one by the front door, room two by the end of the living room, and room three by the dining room and the bathroom in the kitchen. And then out the back door. We all funneled into the living room while the adults slept in the rooms. We slept on the floor, and we'd stay up longer than them, but not for long. We'd get too scared. I'd remember no one talking about these things, just a look on everyone's face, 
Then everyone lays down or pretends nothing happened. These types of occurrences were daily at this place. But there is something that I will never forget more than anything. One night, while everybody was asleep except for us kids, it was maybe 30 minutes after everybody went to sleep, and the house was all quiet except for us whispering away and talking. Honestly, when I started hearing the noises at first, I thought they were maybe just insects or maybe a cat or something. But then we started hearing distant screams far off. A chill ran down my spine instantly. Suddenly it sounds like something slams into the front door and starts scratching at the walls, the door, and the sides of the house. Everywhere. It sounds like something is running around the house. The scratches, like I said, started at the front door. And then suddenly they were at the back door. Then the right, and all at once. Sometimes it just sounded like one finger, and other times it sounded like a full claw. We were all scared out of our wits. The scratching then stopped, and for a moment everything went silent before we heard a massive thud on the top of the roof. I felt fragile under it. I felt like at any moment that the roof would cave in on top of us, and we would be this thing's meal, whatever it was. Eventually, the adults woke up and went to see what was going on, asking if we were horsing around. Once they saw how scared we were, they walked outside. The wind seemed to calm, and everything seemed to drift off into silence. I survived that night somehow, and so did all of us. The next day, when I asked the adults what they saw, they wouldn't tell me. They wouldn't tell me if it was wolves, big coyotes, nothing. No response at all. All I knew is I heard something that night. I was young, maybe five or six at the time, and now I'm 22. And I can tell you for a fact that my reckless curiosity still gets the best of me sometimes. But I know one thing is there was something out there that night. I can't explain what it was. How's it going, Swamp Dweller? I hope all is well with you and those in the swamp. I've been listening to your channel for quite some time now, on the way to work and on long trips. I've wanted to submit my story for a while now and just haven't found the time to write it up. I currently live and work in Texas, but I'm originally from a small town in middle Georgia, where this story takes place. I can't give too many specifics about the area since there are some significant archaeological finds, and the landowner doesn't want trespassers to mess with them. He also doesn't want anyone from the government showing up on his front porch and trying to take it. Anyways, I lived a good way outside of the city limits. Nothing but dirt roads and trees as far as you wanted to drive. A couple of neighbors here and there, but they were few and very far between. Every summer when the mullet would run up the rivers from the ocean to spawn, we would spend as much time as possible on a particular sandbar on that river. One of the dirt roads ended where a logging trail started which also happened to be right by my aunt and uncle's house on the left side of the road, and one of my cousins on the right. The trail led from the road, snaked through planted pines and hardwoods, and eventually found its way to the sandbar on the river. My uncle and cousin were good friends with the man that owned that land between the house and the river, which I learned was about 500 or more acres. And when they invited my dad down there, he realized it was a man he had worked with, they didn't know each other very well, but they knew each other well enough that the man told my dad he could come down here whenever he wanted. So, whenever he was off work in those summer months, he was down there, with a salt block and a mesh bag full of chicken, stabbed into the ground with metal poles in the middle of the river, to bait up the mullet. 
After baiting them the night before, he'd buy the worms and beer, find him a piece of river cane or buy a cane pole if he was feeling a little lazy, and get everything ready to leave at the crack of dawn the next day. And almost every time my mom, my little brother, and I were with him. We were familiar with a good portion of the trails because when we weren't fishing, we would spend all night riding four-wheelers and taking hikes on the logging trails down there, hitting every mud hole in sight, pushing one-inch thick sheets of ice out of the watering holes in the winter, just seeing how much we could do before our toys broke. Sometimes we'd have as many as 10 or 15 or so four-wheelers, and we'd all stop at this shack on the river and build a bonfire. My brother and I were around 13 to 17 years old as this went on for a couple of years before and after my encounter. My dad never explicitly gave us a beer, but we knew if we snuck a few when he was not looking, he'd assume he drank them. But I'm just rambling about the good old days. Anyway, I'd often wander off through the woods when my dad was fishing because, at the time, I hadn't gotten into fishing myself yet. I will tell you this is in the Oconee River. There used to be Native Americans who lived on the river. There's pottery and arrowheads galore. I would visit the rock houses where they lived. There's even a fishing trap they built still in the river. It's in a part of the river that winds through the land. These are the reasons we don't want people there. I'd walk these trails barefooted and shirtless all day long like the kid I was, and still am at heart. And with no cell phone, just a bowie knife for protection and a couple of water bottles, I'd disappear early in the morning and come back about 4 or 5 in the evening because I knew my dad would barely eat all day if the fish were biting good, and he'd be ready to eat supper. My parents never worried because they knew I belonged in nature more than I did in the real world anyway. I was around 15 at the time of this encounter. The day started like always. I got to the sandbar and helped unload another salt block and some more chicken feed to keep it from running out during the day. I was swimming with my brother for a little while and then I put my jeans back on and disappeared. Picture something like Huck Finn, with my cheap straw hat and blue jeans rolled up like I was expecting a flood, the likes of which haven't been seen since Noah built the ark. On this day, I had a fresh pouch of Redmond Chew, Golden Blend to be exact, that I had gotten a friend's dad to buy for me, and I was loving life. I packed a fat chew and set out on my search for more pottery and arrowheads. As I got closer from the sandbar and deeper into the woods, I noticed pebbles flying through the trees and landing near my feet. Occasionally, one would bounce off my back or whiz past my ears. I thought it might have been my brother sneaking around and messing with me, but after dealing with this for over two miles, I was coming to a point in the trail where usually I could turn around on the four-wheeler and go back home, but ahead of me was a dried-up creek bed about three feet deep, which is why we would turn the four-wheelers around. I saw it just as I was about to turn around and walk somewhere else. About 10 feet ahead of me, right in the middle of the trail, was the perfect arrowhead. It was the best one I had ever seen. I guessed spearhead would be more proper for it. It was about 3 inches long and an inch or so wide. When I picked it up, I noticed that it was completely intact. No broken point or anything. And it was like a solid deep purple color. I bent down to pick it up and examine it for a minute and excited would be an understatement. But as I looked up, I noticed something else. Behind a tall, healthy pine tree about 30 feet in front of where I was now standing was a massive arm, and peeking around the trunk of the tree was a face. I didn't get time to make much sense before I saw this thing move behind the tree 
and try to hide there in all its glory. It just stood there, arms by its side facing me, never once making a threatening move towards me. It was at least seven or maybe even eight feet tall and covered in matted, rust-colored hair or fur. From what I could tell, it had a very muscular physique. The face resembled that of a man but was more ancient, leathery, and wrinkled by the hands of time. But the eyes stood out to me just as much as the non-threatening posture. They weren't some abysmal black pits, they were glowing red orbs of anger and hatred. They were like our eyes, although I can't describe the color. It was like the sun hit them and reflected a goldish green color. The look in its eyes seemed very intelligent. I feel like it was studying me as much as I was it. It almost seemed to question what I was and what I was doing in its home. And why did I not mess myself and take off running? I can't tell you. There was also no eerie silence at any point, no putrid smell. The birds were still chirping, the chorus of frogs and crickets never skipped a beat, and I smelled the delightful scent of the wind, honeysuckles growing wild and free nearby. It was almost as if this thing were a spirit, but I can tell you it was accurate as any person you've ever stood before you in your life. We studied each other for what felt like an eternity, but was no more than ten seconds. Then, without taking my eyes off this creature, I crouched down and placed the spearhead exactly where I had picked it up from, and almost as if I had read this thing's mind, it sort of nodded, turned around, and walked back into the dense forest. It never faded out of existence as a spirit might. I watched it disappear as it effortlessly walked through the vines and blackberry patches, and even after I couldn't see it anymore, I could hear it moving, branches crunching out of its way. After I no longer heard it, I turned around and walked straight back to the sandbar just in time to get in the truck and go home. I didn't say a word to anybody about it for quite some time. Then one night, as we were on one of our four-wheeler rides, I brought it up after we snuck a couple of beers, and my friend just gave me this weird look. But one of my other cousins who was there with us, who was also known to be a jokester, was the first one to say something. Until then, I had never heard him say anything as serious as this in all of our lives. I could hear the sincerity in his voice when he spoke. He told me that while he hadn't seen the creature himself, the loggers did. He asked if I ever wondered why they only cut small portions of the trees. They left their equipment down there one night, and when they came back the next day, a door to one of the trucks had been seriously damaged. It was severely smashed in and pulled open. They figured it must have gotten hit by a big log or a piece of equipment, and nobody wanted to get in trouble so they didn't claim it. They decided they would deal with it after work, so they continued about their day. A few hours later, they noticed something in the creek bed I mentioned earlier. At first, they thought just maybe it was a hog as they were a nuisance in the area. Then it stood up on two feet. They said they could see about five feet of it, but as I said before, the creek is about three feet deep. It chucked a huge log and they hurriedly got out of there. They returned to get their equipment within the next week and never returned to this day. My cousin then went on to tell me some of the strange experiences he's had for himself down there, and I told him some more of them, and I told him some more of mine. Those will have to be said later though, as it's getting late, and I must work tomorrow. I do want to mention that after the encounter, I never stopped walking the trails. As I said, I didn't feel that this thing was threatening me, and I almost feel like it was a protector of the woods. The loggers were destroying the place and it showed aggression. 
I barely disturbed the area and always thanked the creator of the arrowheads or pottery I found for giving me a glimpse into the past, and I was spared. On later walks, I still had pebbles plinking through the trees and heard branches snapping, but it always made me feel safer knowing I had something watching over me. In roughly 11 years, I've only told one other person this story. Thank you for finally giving me a platform to share this story with like-minded individuals. I hope you have a blessed day, and always keep an open mind about things we know nothing about. Not everything is out to get you. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. You can choose from 55 weekly options featuring pre-portioned, high-quality ingredients picked at peak ripeness. HelloFresh delivers fresh, quality produce from the farm to your door in less than a week's time so you can savor summer's flavors right from home. HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than dining at a restaurant and is even cheaper than grocery shopping, and that's money back in your pocket. So, join me and many others in the swamp today. Go to HelloFresh.com swamped16 and use code SWAMPED16 for up to 16 free meal and 3 free gifts. Again, go to HelloFresh.com swamped16 and use code SWAMPED16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. I live in a city in northeastern India, but my parents and I always go to visit our grandma's house on the holidays and on some occasions in the countryside. I'm 18 years old. The small town, which is kind of a village my grandma's house is in, is on farmland surrounded by many woods, if you get what I'm saying. So let's cut to the scary part. The town is like any other ordinary small town in our state but the people have been seeing some weird stuff throughout the years. There are countless stories, so I will try to write the ones I remember. The oldest I can remember was told by my dad when I was a kid. He said that he and his friend and some of my uncles were drinking and talking in the cabin attached to the back of my grandmother's house in the backyard. The backyard is attached to a small pond in a few square kilometers of woods and farmland, since my family from my mother's side owned many parts of the property. So as I said, they were enjoying the stuff when they saw a fireball going through the bamboo trees in the backyard. He said fireball, but it wasn't attached to anything like a stick or a lamp, and they didn't hear footsteps or see anyone. The odd detail is, they said the fireball was blue. I don't know, but I saw those associated with spirits and stuff somewhere. Next was an occasion I can't quite remember. The whole incident is very foggy, but my aunt was cooking in the kitchen, and she heard a whistle in the backyard through the window in the kitchen. After some time, my dad and one of my uncles returned to throw away the previous day's trash. He said he saw a guy using our abandoned toilet in the backyard. The bathroom's made by my grandpa, since many people in that area are very poor. So my dad and my uncle approached the guy and asked what he was doing when he had just said that he was there to use their toilet since my uncle sensed some danger, like the guy could be a robber or something. Hence, he and my father returned to the house to pick up some tools, phones, torches, and a safety knife. But the guy was not there when they returned. 
They went in for just a minute to collect the supplies, and my aunt in the kitchen, looking out the window, said that he just vanished. I don't know if it was paranormal, an attempted robbery, or something else. Now, there are other events like one of my uncles who partied late at night, was coming back one night when we heard something following him. The road was of course dark, mildly foggy, and no one else was out there. Such a cliché. So of course he got scared and began looking back with his phone flashlight and walking fast when the footsteps started creeping him out. He started saying God's prayer and played a song on his phone. He began walking faster. Still, after just a few steps his phone died and he could hear the footsteps chasing him. He sprinted through our backyard because of a shortcut. Our backyard and farmlands are all connected to the road. When he came home, I don't remember what exactly happened, but still I remember him saying this to my mother. But still I remember him saying to his mother, which is my grandma, that he was chased by something. He said it was a solo footstep though, like it was something with only one foot hopping after him. The following day he told the whole story that I just wrote and most of my family shrugged it off as a mild paranormal incident. As I said before, this town has bizarre things going on, so it's natural to become used to it. This happened to my friend Alex and me a couple of months ago around March of 2020. We both attended a school on California's central coast. One weekend in April sometime, Alex invited me to join him on a drive a few cities up north where he was picking up a dog he was interested in fostering. Once we picked up the dog, who is a lovely boy, we drove a bit further north to eat some We drove a bit further north to eat before heading back down to go home. We ordered ahead and once we arrived we picked up our food, dine-in regulations are already in place because of COVID at that point. Both new to the area, we Google a park nearby to head out to eat. We pulled up to an empty park. There was only one other person there. He parks on a curb in front of another car, which is important. We quickly walk a few feet to a bench and a table near the curb, tie the dog to a public barbecue grill next to us and began to eat. We were almost immediately approached by a man intent on talking to us. He specifically asked us about the dog. How old he is, his nature, is he mean, does he bite? Alex is busy answering the man's questions while trying to calm the dog down and eventually shifts his attention only to the dog. The conversation ends with the man stands there for a minute or two just staring at us, but only I notice because Alex is still making sure the dog doesn't try to escape. We both, however, agree that the conversation was quite weird. Anyway, the man walks away towards a shaded area next to the restrooms under a large canopy type thing. Many parks in California have these, I don't really know how to explain it. I noticed that he sits with another man I had not seen previously, but I wasn't thinking much of it. At this point, the dog is still being troublesome, but I continue to eat. I feel like we're being watched and I looked over and the two men are just staring at us, not talking at all. I think it's weird and I start to feel incredibly uncomfortable. Alex is still struggling with the dog and when I look over again I only see one of the men, the one who had not approached us. And when I look again, the one who did was coming for us, hiding behind a vending machine poking his head out looking at us ever so slightly, and I catch him. Without hesitating I tell Alex to grab his stuff and get in his car. He doesn't even question me for a second. We gather our stuff and put it in his car. As we do so, the man still sitting and watching us approaches. 
and as soon as we get into the car, he begins to talk to us, asking us about the dog and its temperament again. He asked if he's protective and if he bites. Alex barely answers him and starts the car. The man then walks past our vehicle, gets into the car parked behind us where someone has been inside watching us the entire time from just a few feet away without either of us realizing. Over the next 10 to 15 minutes, we pull out of the parking lot and the other car does the same. We immediately fear that they might be following us. So Alex does a random series of turns until we end up in a neighborhood and sure enough, the car is still behind us. They are tailgating us at this point and we're both very freaked out. So we do a few random turns until we enter a roundabout in which Alex very poorly exits and they lose us. Very stupidly, we map another park for us to finish eating and arrive at a garden with a good amount of people only a few streets away. We park, sit on a bench and keep eating. Maybe five minutes later, Alex notices the same car entered the parking lot and they park near where we were eating. No one exits the car and we grab our stuff and leave, this time down south. The car starts to pull out too, but luckily we lost them because we got on the street first. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true small town horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it to fresh new eyes and that helps the swamp expand its ever-growing waters. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or Spotify, please give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms and it's very much appreciated. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's a small town story or something different, be sure to send it in at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'm always looking for brand new stories to share. Be sure to comment down below letting me know what your favorite story was. I'd love to see the conversation. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but would like to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of that, maybe check out the merch store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I'd love to see you wearing some cool Swamp threads. You can join me on Twitch. I stream multiple times a week over there doing horror games, reading scary stories live, and more. You can find a link to my Discord as well. You can join me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll see you soon with another creepy episode.